guys. We are Vertical Church Villa, and we're so happy you're with us today. While you're here, click subscribe so you can check in with us every week. Right now, we're in a series called The Real Life, where Pastor Brian is speaking on being fishers of men. Let's go fishing. It's been an exciting week around here. We uh, had VBS all week long. I'll be telling you more about that later in our service today. God did some great stuff here. It's good to be a part of it all. So if you've, uh, if you've ever fished or been around people who do, you know that most fishermen have their fish story. You know, they've got that tale or real story about the one that they almost had. That one that was on the line and it just felt like the biggest catch ever. It just seemed like this one was about to make the record books. This was the biggest fish, this was the hardest fight, and it went on and went on, and they got so close, it came almost up to the boat, almost up to the bank, almost up to the shore, whatever it is, and at the last minute, right when they're about to pull it in, it swam away. And it became the stuff of legends at that point. (laughs) The one that got away, right? And so you're at family events, you're around friends, and they start in on the story, and you're like, oh boy, here we go again. And they're telling the story about the one that got away, how big it was, how hard the fight was, and it's like, well, did you get a picture of it? No, I really didn't, but it was really, hey, it was really this big, it just was big, you know, and it was so, and everybody's like, yeah, that's great, the one that got away. You know, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you might have had a similar experience when you had a friend or a family member and you'd been praying for them and they were at a place in their life where they really needed the hope of Jesus. They needed a new start. They needed a clean break. They needed to come out of the depths of where they've been. And as you prayed, you began to see some signs. You began to think, I really think they're going to come to Christ. I really think they're going to surrender their life. I really think they're about to go all in. I really think this is about to be their moment. They're going to be rescued from their watery grave and come to life. And in the last moment, something unexpected happens. And that one that you had been praying for, that one that you had invested in, that one that you'd given your time to, all of a sudden swam away. And all of a sudden, they weren't asking questions anymore. All of a sudden, they weren't interested anymore. All of a sudden, they were gone. And they became, for you, the one that got away. Might have been a friend. Might have been a neighbor. May have been a child. May have been a spouse. And the heartache is intense because you long to see them free and you hurt for them and you have your story and it's real. They are the one who got away. Today I want us to look at scripture and see what do you do when that happens? What do you do when you have one of those stories in your life? These are usually not people that are out on the fringe. They're not the people that are far away from you. You're usually connected with them. You've invested into them. And that's why it hurts so much. 
When you look at scripture, you might think these are going to be people that are out on the fringe, but to the story we're going to see today, you're going to see that it was actually someone very close up into the disciple group, the group of men that followed Jesus Christ, someone in that group, someone who got away. I'm not talking about Judas today. I'm talking about someone else in the group, someone that was in fact if you could have measured, if you could have known who was the one who had spent the most time, was the most connected, was the closest, had the most potential, it's going to be that guy who's going to be the one who gets away today. His story, his name is Peter. It's recorded for us in the Gospel of John. So turn your Bibles there, John chapter 21. Um, I'm going to be reading the story this morning, I'm not going to show you the scriptures on screen today. It's a little bit lengthy, and I just I think it'd be cool to follow along in your Bible if you've got one with you. If you don't, maybe you can download an app. Maybe you can follow along there. I'm going to be using the New King James Bible this morning. If you're following along there, let me kind of set the stage, give you a little bit of context of where we are. It's important when you read scripture to kind of know what's going on when you read it so that you don't miss something, so that you don't read it out of context. So John chapter 21, it's the last chapter in the gospel of John. John is writing the story and he's telling about what happened after the crucifixion, after the resurrection of Jesus. Now it's before Jesus ascends back up to the father. It's in this period of time between the resurrection and that. Okay. Uh, At this time, Jesus has appeared to the disciples twice in his resurrected body form. He's in this new form. Some have struggled to understand who he is, even recognize him, but it's Jesus, clearly. He's just in his resurrected body. He no longer uh, is feeling the pain of death. He's gone through the crucifixion. He has been resurrected, new life. He has the scars still in his body, and he's freely showing those scars to the disciples. But here in this passage... We come upon a story where Jesus has told the disciples, hey, guys, I want you to go to a mountain in Galilee and wait for me there. Go there and wait for me. I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to give you your next instructions there. We're going to have a a time together there. Go to the mountain. Meet me there. Go to this place and meet me there. I will be there and meet you there. You would think that's pretty simple instructions that the disciples would have gone to where Jesus told them to go because they were going to have a a meeting that day. They were going to get together. Jesus was going to tell them some things about himself and about their future. But what happens in the story where you will see this story take place in just a moment is that the disciples, these disciples, seven of the 11 did not go to the mountain. They chose, instead of going to meet Jesus that day, they chose to go to the lake instead. And this is where we're going to find them. They're going to be at the lake. They're going to be getting ready to do some fishing. They are struggling, especially Peter. You see, Peter is the one who the night of the Last Supper, the night before Jesus is crucified, the night when he is arrested, they've just had this 
moving time, Jesus and the disciples, and they walk out of what we know of as the upper room. And Jesus says to them, guys, all of you this night will deny that you know me. And Peter says boldly, not me. I would never deny you. And Jesus said, Peter, you really shouldn't say that. Because this night, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. The story begins to play out. That happens. Jesus is arrested, taken away. The disciples scatter in fear. Instead of standing up for him, instead of going with him, instead of proclaiming that they are followers of his, they have opportunity later. In fact, Peter is questioned Weren't you one of those who followed him? And he said, not me. Hey, aren't you the guy who went with that Jesus? No, not me. It wasn't me. Sir, I think you were one of those followers of Jesus, weren't you? No, I'd say I don't know that man. Yeah, you know the story. It happened exactly like Jesus said it was going to happen. Can you imagine being Peter at this moment? The guilt the shame, the embarrassment, this sense of, man, he said that was going to happen, and I said it wasn't, and it did, and I bet it's my fault that he even went to that cross. It's, ah, what was I thinking? And Peter and six others say, I just can't go this way anymore. I just can't do it. Instead of going to where Jesus told them to go, they go to a lake. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias or Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. I'm going to stop and make a little bit of commentary along the way here. So uh, we're going to make some points after I finish the story. But I'm going to make a little bit of commentary as we go along here. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea. Aren't you glad that Jesus keeps on showing himself to you? Aren't you glad that he didn't just say, all right, look, you got one shot at this whole deal, and that's it. After that, you're on your own. Jesus showed himself again. So much love, so much grace, so much mercy here. He shows himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias And it says there at the end of verse 1, and in this way he showed himself. In other words, this story is all about Jesus revealing himself to them, showing who he really was, because that's what's most important for every one of us. That's what you need more than anything else, is for you to see Jesus as he really is. That's what you need. Okay, verse 2, Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Here's the group. Peter's the guy. He's the leader. He's the influencer. So he's managed to get six others to go with him in this journey. Okay? Good or bad, he's the influencer at this point. Simon Peter, verse 3, said to them, said to the other disciples, I am going fishing. Now, you can read this a couple of ways, but I think we understand the context of the story. Peter is not saying, you know what? I think it'd be fun to go fishing this morning. That'd be cool. Let's do some fishing. That's really not what's happening here. This was not fishing for sport. This was fishing as a career. Okay? 
They weren't going out on the weekends with their rod and reel. They had boats. They had nets. They made money. This was their life. And Jesus had called them out of that life. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we have already read how they left their boats and their nets and followed Jesus. So here at this point in the story, Peter is saying, I, I'm not in on this fishers of men thing. I am going back to being a fisherman. I've messed up, failed, embarrassed myself, made a fool of myself, perhaps was the one who got Jesus into this trouble. I could have done something. I didn't. I failed so miserably. I can't do anything right. I am not going to where he is. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too humiliated. I am going back to my old life that I know, where I feel secure, where I can know what I'm doing. I'm going back to fishing. And they, the others, said to him, we're going with you also. Peter's a man of influence. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. Hmm. That happens sometimes when you choose to go alone, when you choose to not go where Jesus calls you to go, when you choose to say, I ain't doing it. When you choose to say, I'm not following, you'll find yourself going out to do what you thought you wanted to do, and you'll find that you get absolutely nothing out of it. They fished all night. This was not first-time fishermen. This was not guys of inexperience. These are professionals. They knew when to fish, where to fish, how to fish. So to go out one night and fish and get absolutely nothing, something's up. They caught nothing, verse 4. But when the morning had come, it's always good when the morning comes. It's always good when the night is over. It's always good when you've been doing your own thing and then morning comes. When the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Mm. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. There's some shadowy figure. There's someone on the shore. They're out in the boat. They've been fishing all night, caught nothing. And they look, and there's some guy there. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? It's kind of a term like, hey, little buddy, <laughs> little buddies, pals, chaps. Have you any food? In other words, you got anything for me? Have you caught anything? How's it going? And they answered, no. We have nothing. Verse 6. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. Right. The guy on the shore knows where the fish are out in the, in the lake. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Mm. Jesus knows where the fish are. It's really your only plan. If you want to 
You want to experience life, real life? You got to go where he says go. Fish where he says fish. Do what he says do. They draw it in, multitude of fish. Verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the way John liked to refer to himself, humble, prideful, whatever it is, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, parentheses, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in from, or in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they came to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. They get there, and this man, who is Jesus, already has fish cooking. He's got fish, he's got bread, he's got the spread, he's got the meal, and he's prepared it, and he's waiting for them. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Verse 11. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153 to be exact. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. It was this awkward moment where they get back to the shore and they'd been running from Jesus. They were fishing instead of going to the mountain. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They were filled with guilt and shame and all this. And, and they get back to the shore. And it's like, oh, yep, that's him. Mm. Yeah, here's those fish. Uh, no one said, hey, Jesus. They just all kind of slunk up to the fire. Verse 14. Oh, verse 13. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Make a note on that. Verse 14, now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Isn't it funny how sometimes it takes more than one time to get it? It takes more than one time to see. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, let me just call you out right here in front of everybody. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. His heart begins to be heavy because he said to him the third time. Peter knows all about third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Beautiful story here. 
of what happens when Jesus goes fishing. I'm not talking about fishing for fish, but fishing for men. Because here in this story, Jesus went back for the one that had gotten away. He went back for the one who had said, I'm not going. He went back for the one who had chose to go fishing instead of going to worship. He went back for the one that he had poured so much into but had left him. He went back for him. And Jesus always gets the one he goes back for. He does. So let's make some points here today, see what Jesus did, and let's see what we should do when we go back for the one who got away. Every one of us, I know you have somebody in your life, family member, spouse, child, friend, distant relative, neighbor. You have somebody that you have invested in, poured your life into, prayed for, longed to see them fully engaged with Christ, part of a fellowship of believers, growing, understanding truth, walking in that truth. You all, we all, I have people in my life that I have watched get away. They chose on their own to walk away. And what do you do? You do what Jesus did. Here's the first thing he did. is what great fishers of men always do. They go back for the one that got away. You know, it's interesting. Jesus could have, um, he could have said, I'm done with that, Peter. I am so done with him. I'm so tired of his arrogance. I'm so tired of his selfishness. I'm so tired of his, you know, always talking first. I'm just so sick of all that stuff. I am not, I am not going back for him. That sounds a little bit more like you and, uh, you and me than, you know, than Jesus. Jesus could have done that. It would have been easily justifiable in his mind. Peter had failed. Jesus had done nothing wrong. Peter's the one that left. Jesus hadn't left. Jesus is the one who laid down his life. Peter's the one that ran in the middle of the night. Peter's the one who said he wouldn't deny, but he ended up denying. It would have been easy for Jesus in that moment to have said, I, I am not. I am not going back for that guy. I'm done with him. He said he's done with me. That's it. In that moment, Peter's all wrapped up in his guilt. He's so blinded. He's so consumed with what he did instead of what Jesus had done. The very thing that Jesus had come to do was to free him from his sin. And all that Peter can think about is his sin. Come on, Peter. Do you not see what's happening here? Get it, Peter. You're, in, you're missing the whole point. Ever talk to someone like that? You talk to them, you pray for them, you're there with them, and they just, just goes right past them. Jesus always goes back for the one who got away. It's what great fishermen do. They're driven with it. They don't say, I've got others, I don't need them. Great fishers of men go back for the one that got away. Jesus goes back. He goes back to redeem. He goes back because this is what he does. He goes back because Jesus is always faithful. He goes back because Jesus doesn't want to see Peter lost. He goes back because Jesus does this. 
The second thing that great fishers of men do is that when they go back, they meet them where they are. It's interesting here in the story that um, they go out and they're fishing. They chose to fish instead of go to where Jesus was. And you, you would think in your natural mind, like you and I, we're like, well, I told them where I was going to be. And if they want to come to me, I'm going to be right here. They can just come on back to me. This is where I'm going to be right here. Does that feel familiar for anybody here besides me? It's one of those moments where you're just like, well, they know where I am. If they, if they want to call me, they know my number. They know my email address. They can text me. They know where I live. They know where I go to church. They can come to me. I'll be right here waiting. You don't see any of that in the conversation here with Jesus. You don't see any of that in his heart. Instead, you see him doing what Jesus does. He goes to the exact spot where they are, where they're doing the very thing that he told them not to do. Don't go back. And Jesus goes back where they went back. He meets them there. He meets them on their own turf. He meets them in a language they can understand, fishing. He meets them right there, speaks their language, says what they need to hear. He didn't sit and wait for them to come to him. He went to them. He didn't say, ha ha, you didn't catch anything, ha 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 ha. That's what you get for being out all night and not coming to where I said to, ha. Would have been easy, right? It would have kind of felt good, like, boom, in your face, that's what you get, no fish, ha. Right? Hello. Come on now, I'm not alone in this. It's what we all naturally think. You want someone else to, to get what's coming to them. You want them to have to pay. You want them to have to hurt a little. You want them to have to, you know, get some of that. And they got it all night. No fish. And Jesus comes to them in their emptiness. Jesus comes to them in their absolute brokenness. Jesus didn't shy away from the question, Hey, you got any food? No, we don't. If you want to catch people in your life, if you want to see them caught for Christ, if you want to see them return, sometimes it means going to where they are and not just waiting for them to come to where you are. The father didn't sit on his throne and say, all right, that miserable planet of sinners, let them figure it out. He didn't. He sent his son to come to where we are. He tabernacled among, amongst us, it says in the King James. Jesus came and put on flesh and blood like us. He came to where we are to feel what we feel, not so that he could know what it was like, but so that you and I would know that he knows what it's like. And he comes and he hurts. 
and he sits and he asks us, have you got anything out of this life? And the correct answer is no. Without you, I don't have anything. This is what great fishers of men do. They go to meet them where they are. The third thing that great fishers of men do is they give overwhelming and undeserved love. Now, this is where the story is going to begin to rub us even more wrongly, if it hasn't already, because it's so uncharacteristic to what you and I do. It's so different to what's natural for us. We like to uh, do this. You slap me on the cheek, I'm going to slap you on the cheek. Jesus says, no, you turn the other cheek. It's different. Jesus' ways are different than ours. And here in this moment, when Jesus says, hey, have you got any food? And they say, no. Jesus starts doing something here that is so characteristically Jesus and so uncharacteristically us. He says, hey, I know you're out there doing the very thing I told you not to do. And you haven't caught anything all night. Ha. But do this. Put your net down on the other side of the boat. In other words, let me bless you while you're resisting me. Let me give you something good you don't deserve right now. I'm going to give you a load of fish. I'm going to show you where the fish are. I'm going to overwhelm you. I'm going to be good to you. I'm going to sacrifice. And sure enough, they do. They put the net in and they pull it out and it's loaded with fish. And John says, just so we can all be clear, when I say they got fish, John wrote in the exact number preserved for us, 153 it wasn't three fish, five fish, eight fish, ten fish. It was 153. This is how good Jesus was to them. And if that wasn't enough, they come to shore, they bring all their fish, and when they get there, they don't have to even wait to see how long it's going to take to cook some fish, get it all ready, clean them, get a fire going. Jesus already has the fire made. Jesus already has the fish cooked when they come up on the shore. He's ready to feed them. He is incredibly gracious to them. And he doesn't scold them. He doesn't condemn them. Because if you're going to catch the one who got away, what they need is another reminder of the grace of Jesus in their life. And here is Jesus being richly graceful, giving them what they don't deserve. What they deserved was some reminders of their wrong decision. What they needed was a little reminder, we would think, of how badly they'd messed up. And here's Jesus being so good to them. Not because he feels guilty about doing it, but because he loves them so much. This is what you do if you want to catch the one that got away in your life.
you're going to have to undo what you think they deserve and give them grace. Jesus goes to them in their shame. He shows them great, great love. You see, grace operates this way. Grace gives us blessing that we have or could never earn. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is giving you something on top of that. You don't get the discipline, but not only that, you get blessing poured over on top of you. This is what it means to come to salvation in Christ. You see that Jesus took what you deserved in his own body, did not give you what you deserve, but instead gave you grace. He gives you his righteousness. This is true mercy and grace. And this is what you do if you want to win someone's heart. You go back and you find some way to be incredibly, overwhelmingly, undeservedly good to them. Doesn't that just feel so contrary to everything you know? Right? Doesn't it just feel so contrary when someone has offended you and you've got this list of things you think they need to do to make up for what they've done to you? And that's not what Jesus does here. Instead, he is gracious. So if you've got that one in your life who's drifted away, gone away, don't just wait for them to come to you. Don't sit up on your lofty pedestal and say, I'm here when they want to come to me. Find a way to go to where they are. Find a way to be good to them and show them the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, I hear you. I've tried that. And in fact, I did it. And nothing came of it. Nothing. They went on in their lifestyle. They went on in their resistance. And nothing happened. So now, what do I do? This brings us to our fourth point this morning. Great fishers of men. Patiently show them Jesus again. I love what it says here in the story that we read. It's a simple little kind of context filler in the Senate in the story. A little commentary on the story in verse uh, 14. It said, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. How many times would it take you to see Jesus resurrected from the dead before you finally said, I get it. You're the same Jesus, but you're resurrected exactly like you said. I'll follow you. This is now the third time. The first time he was good to them. If you back up in John chapter 20, you'll actually see the story of where Thomas has doubted. And Jesus is very kind and gracious with Thomas and allows him to see his scar and his wound and touch them. And this is the story that follows 
This is now the third time. Jesus has gone to them a third time. This is what Jesus does. He's patient. He's good. And he'll go back again and again and again. And so you say, well, what do I do about that one in my life? I've told them once what God said to me. I've, I was good to them. I was kind to them. Patiently show them the love of Jesus again. Well, I mean, I did that. I did that twice and took everything I had with me to do that. But I did it. Patiently show them Jesus again and again and again. I love what happens in this story. Do you remember when I was reading and I said, make a note there because it said that Jesus, when they got to shore, he had cooked some fish and it said he took some bread and gave it to them. I almost imagine that Jesus said, hey guys, I'll come over and have a seat. Just uh, sit over right along here. That'd be great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join in right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, yeah. Peter, yeah, yeah. Okay. Everybody set? Good. Now, guys, uh, I made some bread here for you this morning. Here, take this bread. Take this bread. Jesus didn't have to say much. Probably all he had to say was, take this bread. And I'm sure in that moment, all of a sudden, the thought came. This is just like the night he was arrested. He said, take this bread. This is my body broken for you. And here he is. Take this bread. He's not doing an in-your-face moment. He's not doing the supreme gotcha. He's patiently showing them himself again. This is me, fellas. This is Jesus. I walked with you. I talked with you. I taught you. I gave my life for you. And he shows himself one more time to these gentlemen. He's patient and he's kind with them throughout the process. Hmm. I love what happens next. The story kind of gets down into Peter's life. It uh, zeroes in on Peter alone. And it says that the conversation with everyone there turns to Peter. Jesus says, hey, um, Simon Peter. He called him by his old name first because he was acting more like his old self than his new self here. Simon Peter. Do you love me more than these Let's quickly break this down here. Do you love me more than these? Was Jesus saying, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these other six guys love me? That wouldn't fit with Jesus' style. Jesus is not all about comparison and contrasting who loves me more. You think, okay, well, is he saying, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love, these, do you love me more than you love these men? That wouldn't fit either with what Jesus would say. Here's who I think the these are in this passage when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Jesus is referring to the fish. Peter, do you love me more than you love these fish? You were going to go back to a life of fishing. You were going to give yourself to that. 
Peter, I just broke this bread to remind you. I've come here not to condemn you, but to call you. Peter, do you love me? Or do you love these fish? Really, Peter? Fish? Me? And Jesus carefully, skillfully, patiently walks Peter through this scenario of asking him three times, do you love me more than these? You might think, man, Jesus was really giving it to him, wasn't he? He was really, he was reminding him of his three times he denied him, and here he is, Jesus, really just like, you know, just digging the knife in, just deeper and deeper every time. Mm -mm, that wouldn't fit. That's not what Jesus does. What Jesus is doing in this moment is saying, Peter, I know right now all you can think about are your failures, how you messed up, those three big times. and You've got that just in the front of everything that you are right now. Peter, I'm about to replace everything that's in there. Peter, I don't want you to think about three failures anymore. I want you to think about three times my goodness was enough for you. My sacrifice paid for you. I made you righteous, Peter. That's what I want you to think. I want you to replace your failure with my forgiveness. I want you to replace your shame with my sanctification in your life. This is what I'm trying to do, Peter. This is why Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? This is what Jesus was doing. He wasn't trying to cause Peter to have to replay his shame alone. He was trying to get Peter to replace the shame with his love. Hey, man, that's necessary. If you've got somebody in your life who's walked away, who is that one who got away, I can almost guarantee you something happened. Something happened where all of a sudden they got focused on what they did wrong instead of on what he did to free them from their wrong. And they're so consumed with that that they don't know what to do. And they've chosen to run away instead of run to him. And what they need is a fresh picture of Jesus again. And Jesus takes it one step further. He says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Peter, I told you before that upon this rock I'd build my church when I was talking about you and your confession. Peter, I told you that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of which you are going to be a leader, Peter. Peter, I need you to get your calling in your mind as bigger than your condemnation in your mind. You'll never be able to walk forward with Jesus if you can't replace your condemnation with your calling. Peter, if you love me, which I know you do, feed my sheep, be a leader, step up. Replace the shame with what I've called you to and get to work. It's interesting because we don't find in the end of John chapter 21 exactly how Peter processed all of this. If you keep reading a little bit, you think that Peter is still kind of uh, whining a little bit about it. But the very next reference to Peter will be in the book of Acts. And Peter 
as we all would see. Got it. He got caught that day by Jesus. The big one that had gotten away all of a sudden came up out of his watery grave and he was hooked truly for Christ. Because on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's poured out and there's some confusion about what's going on, everyone's sitting around and looking. The Bible says that Peter stood up and he began to preach. He began to tell about who Jesus was. He began to talk about Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, why Jesus had come, that there was cleansing now, that there was healing now, that all who would come to him could be forgiven, they could walk in new life. Jesus, he was telling all about Jesus, and he just kept talking, he kept talking. The Bible says that when Peter was finished talking, that 3,000 people joined the church that day. 3,000 put their faith in Jesus Christ fully that day because Peter got caught all of a sudden. There's some people in in my life and your life. They're the ones who got away. They're the ones who need someone to come back and patiently show them Jesus again, again, and again. And you never know who they are going to be the ones to reach. That one that you go back for turns out to be the one who leads an entire family to Jesus Christ, who leads an entire neighborhood to Jesus Christ, who leads an entire nation to Jesus Christ, and the future is transformed because you went back for the one who got away. Amen? Amen. So in wrapping up today, um, two questions. One, who is God putting on your heart today? Who is that one for you? That's the one that got away. That as we've talked today, you've just had this clear impression of that person. You, the, the picture's there. The conversations are there. You know exactly who it is because the Spirit of God put them there. Who is he calling you to go back to and patiently show them the love of Jesus again? Will you do it? Second big question. It might be that you're here today and you're the one. You're the one who had gone away. You're the one who had walked. And God arranged for you to be here today. And he's been speaking to you. He's been pouring his love out in your heart. You sense it. You know it. You might not be able to explain it all, but you know what's happening. He's calling you. And the right answer is, no, I can't do this on my own, Jesus. I'm coming back today. Would you bow your heads with me? Whatever God has put on your heart today, My prayer is our answer would be yes. Yes, Lord, I, I know exactly who that is that you've put on my heart. Yes, God, I see them struggling right now. Yes, I have hurt for them. Yes, I've been praying for them. And yes, God, I will go. I will be the one who goes back to them, meet them where they are, 
to be good to them. Show them your love one more time with great patience. And if you're the one today that he's calling because you're the one who's gotten away, that your answer would be yes as well. Yes, Jesus, I'm here. Yes. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I want to live for you. Yes. 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 If God's put someone on your heart today, would you just raise your hand by saying, I have someone like that. I have someone in my life. They've gotten away. Amen. Lots of hands. Amen. I have someone who's gotten away. Amen. The right response is, yes, Lord, I will go. I will pray for them. I will be available to you, God, if you open the door for me to speak to them. I wonder today if there's anyone here that would say, I am that one. I'm the one who's gotten away. But today, I'm saying yes to the Lord. I am coming back. If that's you, would you just lift your hand for just a moment? Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. He welcomes you back. He's got a meal prepared for you. He's got fish cooking. He's got bread. He's got blessings abundant waiting for you. Father, I'm so grateful for your word today. I thank you that it gives us answers for every question of life. This morning, our hearts have hurt for those in our own families and friend groups who've walked away from you. And we pray for them. We pray for opportunity to speak to them. And God, we celebrate with those who've come back this morning who've said, I'm, I'm back, Jesus. I'm here. I'm here to follow. We thank you for that today. Thank you for grace that patiently shows us grace again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. I'm going to ask our ushers to come in this, at this time as we give our offering today, as we give out of what God has blessed us with so that others might come to know this gracious, giving, fishing Savior. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. We hope this message inspires you and leads you to a vertical life. We'll see you next week live at 1030.